Hello from Austin, and welcome to episode 219 of the National Security Law Podcast. We're brought to you by the Strauss Center at the University of Texas. It's Tuesday, May 17th, 2022. I'm Bobby Chesney. I'm Steve Vladek. Bobby, you have a new job. <laughs> I do. I got a whole new title and everything. Wow. Bobby, you're, you're, will you remember us, little people, when you're big and fancy? You mean when we record, like, in a month? <laughs> so, I'll probably still remember that. I, I, you know, I do. So, so for those of you who who have been sleeping under a rock, or who somehow listen to this podcast but don't follow any of us in any respect in any other <laughs> context, um, the big news announced uh, a week ago today is that Bobby Chesney is going to be the 16th dean of the University of Texas School of Law. Bobby, Woo-hoo! congratulations. Thank you, Steve. Thanks, everybody. Um, I got so many nice notes from people. I, I will say, and, and this is completely true, I got a lot of messages. I'm pretty sure by far the most common substantive inquiry was, <laughs> well, the what does this mean for the podcast? <laughs> no, no, no. On, on Twitter. I mean, like, I, you know, when I, when I tweeted the news at exactly 10 o'clock last Tuesday, because that's when I was allowed to tweet the news. Yes, um, yes, yes. Right? Um, I, I was, the, the most common response was, okay, but what does this yeah. mean for the podcast? <laughs> like, Hey, congratulations, Dean Chesney. But anyways, right. what does this mean? So, Bobby, what does this mean for the oh, podcast? Here, and here we are, <laughs> right? Uh, actually, I think that we're going to end up recording more regularly Wow! In, in, uh, from this point forward. Compared to when? Well, compared to the past, what, like eight months? Nine yeah, months. I was going to say, not, not compared to our like once a week and sometimes twice a week. No, we're kinda, we well, yeah, I, I don't know if we'll get back to once a week, but, no. but it'd be nice to get back in the regular flow Fortnite. of things. <laughs> we'll play some Fortnite. Um, no, we're going to continue on with the pod. We're just going to uh, perhaps record it from the Dean Suite from now on. <laughs> you know, they did ask me, like, you know, do you want to you want paint the walls? You gonna you know, what do you want to do differently? And there, I'm like, oh, I don't know. Let's I'm get some podcast studio. studio. Let's get, let's, can we turn the entire suite into a podcast studio? We'd have to loan it out, though. Can we? Isn't there that little room across the hall from the Dean's office? Oh my God, that's not a bad idea, Steve. Right? That's actually a good idea. It's that a small room. There's a little conference room that's never used. We could. Yeah, we'll see. Well, as Dean, let me say, if some generous donor wants to fund the new <laughs> National Security Law Podcast yeah, Studio, insert your name here, yeah. studio across the hall in the Dean Suite. Hey, I'm happy to hear from you. The, the biggest pro- so so for our listeners, the biggest problem with you becoming Dean, of course, is concern about the podcast. For me, the flip side of it is an opportunity, right? Because now, just like right, Jefferson says in Hamilton, we can fix that. You know why? Why? Because I'm the president. <laughs> Right. I'm afraid to ask, what are we going to fix, Steve? That's, no, I'll take that off the podcast. Uh, we'll, we'll, okay. we'll have that conversation yeah, offline. I have a feeling I'm going to regret this. <laughs> um, it is it is really uh, actually pretty awesome to hear from so many listeners with, with warm words, and I really appreciate that. I, I'm no fool. I understand that all the warm words are for like the first week of being the Dean designate. <laughs> I was going to say, wait, wait until July 2nd. <laughs> so please, if you know if you love me, put it on your calendar like three years from now and just say like, hey, I, I bet Dean Chesney needs some nice words. <laughs> There's a voice from the past when, when, when everyone was happy. When, when, when Above the Law does a whole to-do about whatever the latest kerfuffle is. Uh, exactly. Although, actually, exactly. our most recent Above the Law uh, appearance um, was for the our law review, our assault and flattery students winning the winning, law review video yes, contest. But they, they won the popular vote, right? So, Fantastic. Uh, and there was no electoral college to cost say, them. You know, the, uh, <laughs> I, I, there, there might be some election integrity questions there. That um, was awesome. You know. 
Love that. Um, so I, I, I just want to say, I am, I am really happy for you, and I'm really excited, not just for you, but for all of us who are associated with the law school. Thank you. I'm very excited. And, and apart from the podcast, I do have all kinds of exciting yeah. plans for us. It's going to be a great time. We're going to have some real fun, but we're going to do some really good things. You know, and, and we're going to live so, stream the Mets on the video board. I am board so in the tempted atrium. to go into Dean mode talking about unlocking opportunity and all the rest. Uh, Don't go into Dean mode. Okay. Okay. I won't. <laughs> I'll stay in, in podcast mode instead. I mean, so Listen, you're not Dean until July 1st, right? That's true. Dean designate. Yeah, I had to change. They made me change the caption on my (laughs) emails. (laughs) Dean designate's pretty great, though, because it implies it's it's like absolute power, no responsibility. (laughs) But I actually think it's the reverse. It's like, no, no, everybody's acting like there's lots of responsibility, no power. Mm. Podcast host designate. (laughs) Show title. (laughs) Episode title. Episode title. Okay, writing that down. That's pretty good. Podcast host. Um, so designate. we actually, uh, partly because you are the Dean designate, um, we actually both have a bit of a compressed window for today's episode. And there actually, I mean, there's a ton of news, but like not anything sort of super like core national security law. Us. Let's let's see. Let's actually, friends. There may be some new people wondering, like, oh, I heard we have a new dean. I'll listen to his podcast, and they're already like, oh ah. my god, what have you done? But. Uh, long-time listeners know that we don't do a lot of prep, so let's prove it what? by, by uh, thinking through our prep right now. Have we got anything exciting happening at Gitmo? Um, Steve, I don't recall anything truly Just unusual. More, a little bit more movement on the sort of clearing, clearing detainees Some for PRB, transfer. PRB transfer right. type stuff. But um, no one actually leaving, right? Right. Uh, there was Since an oral argument in the D.C. Circuit in the latest round of the Al-Nashiri litigation. Oh, my Lord. The, the, what, what, how many layers of dip are we up uh, to now? The dip. The dip. Uh, I haven't thought about the dip in. The eternal dip. Um, I, I actually assigned, actually, in my military justice seminar this fall, we did a whole day on Al-Nashiri, and so I assigned the dip. Oh, that's fantastic. It was pretty it, rancid, You, you should have provided dip. <laughs> um, you should have brought in some quesos, what you should have provided. Mm. Okay, so nothing nothing especially newsworthy from our perspective coming out of Gitmo. What about AUMF land? I, I think there's one thing that's it's interesting as a little foray into the topic of what is it that the AOMF matters for as a legal matter? Some of you will have noticed that I think it was maybe yesterday's news cycle. Uh, the Biden administration is uh, putting is going public by overtly acknowledging putting special operations forces back into deployment mode within Somalia. And uh, towards the end of the Trump administration, uh, they had pulled. It, I'm, I'm sure there was some sort of not so overt presence in some way or fashion still there, but we we pulled back the deployment. Now we're going back in. I, I don't claim to know the particulars of why now, why this, um, but I think that might be interesting to some people who are AUMF watchers thinking, oh, does this mean we've done something vis-a-vis the AMF? I don't think so at all. Um, Special Operations Forces have all sorts of uh, what I would consider uh, bread and butter, special ops, Title Ten authorities about supporting... Uh, foreign internal defense and supporting uh, friendly governments. I believe the, the leader of Somalia uh, was recently reelected, the guy who'd been in power from 12, 2012 to 12, 2017. So he's back. Maybe that's got something to do with it. I don't know. But it's not something that necessarily requires an AUMF analysis. Now, if we were to do an AUMF analysis, it would be an Al-Shabaab Associated Forces discussion. But I just want to flag that the movement of troops, including into dicey circumstances such as the Somalia uh, theater, if we want to call it that for this purpose, doesn't necessarily mean you have to take any kind of position on the AUMF. So that's happening. Um, In uh, lethal force land, Steve, with drones and such, I 
I don't, I'm not aware of any activity that's public since last we recorded. Um, in Ukraine, in a minute, I do want to talk about one issue that's kind of an interesting issue that relates to something Russia did before the most recent invasion that's gotten some discussion in cyber policy circles. And so we'll circle back to that. What else have you got? Um, so just today, I mean, there's this ongoing debate over this New York Times investigation, right, into a U.S. airstrike in Syria that killed dozens of people, including women and children. Apparently, the Pentagon is out today faulting its own review of the airstrike, but still finding no wrong, wrongdoing and basically saying the New York Times is wrong. Um, oh, so they're challenging the factual predicates of the Times coverage on it. civilian casualties. Indeed. Um, so that's interesting. Um the, uh, the, ja- the January 6th committee has issued five subpoenas, right, for members of Congress. Ah, okay. So Trump-landia topics. Uh, we've got oh, God. Some, we've got We're some January sliding 6th. back toward Trump-landia. Uh, there's subpoenas, and have there been any stated positions on whether the members are going to I don't think apply. I've seen any public positions yet. I mean, so there are some folks who have asked, like, hey, like, is that a thing Congress can do? I, I didn't realize that was something a person could do. <laughs> <laughs> yes, King George. Um uh, and the short answer is yes, Congress has subpoenaed its own members before, typically in the context of ethics investigations. Um, there's actually just sort of a throwback alert. There's a 1994 in-chamber shadow docket decision ah. by Chief Justice Rehnquist uh, refusing to stay a district court order compelling then-Senator Packwood to comply with a Senate Ethics Committee subpoena. Ah, Packwood. Did he then uh, testify? Uh, he relented and and then... We all know how that ended. Oh, that's fascinating. Um, oh, by, by the way, way, speaking of your book, uh, is it available oh. for sale on Amazon or it's other It's not even due out till June. I have a publication date of June yeah, 6th but There will come year. some moment. I, there I, will. I want to be your press agent <laughs> on this. There will come some moment where you can pre-order. And my understanding of the book biz. Yes, it's the pre-orders. Are the, the pre-orders of everything. If you, oh, you, if you're you not. Need to like, chart, you got to chart. Don't worry. Listeners of this podcast are not going <laughs> to not gonna be lack. wondering uh, when pre-orders open. Because uh, this podcast will become the pre-orders of Steve Loddick's book are open podcast. Welcome to episode 219 of the Steve's book is available for purchase podcast. Do you remember? Okay. Oh, we'll make t-shirts. Do you remember? There was an old commercial. I don't remember what the heck it was for. So good job commercial. Yeah. But back in the age of pay phones and collect calls, right? And it was something, it had to be something about like not paying for like long distance, right? And so, 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 um, so like someone called his mom collect Right, and said, and said, you know, his name was John. Uh, 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 John, we had the baby. It's a boy, right? Uh, and so yeah, the author right. says, uh, "Hello, ma'am. Will you accept the charges from John? We had a baby. It's a boy. No, I won't. <laughs> no, I won't. High five. You know that. So as soon as you started going down that path, I don't remember that, that commercial, commercial? Uh-uh. but I do remember that in in the days when I may or may not have put all my quarters into Galaga, mm. um, you you can have it the prearranged signal, uh, you know." <laughs> Mrs. Chesney, do you accept right. a call from, you know, Larry? And that is Inmate the pre signal from pick me up outside right. the food court at the mall. As opposed to, yes, I accept the charges. Right, people would do that, right? Oh, 100%, yeah. Um, uh, this, this reminds me, so I've been, you know, I've been in the book, the opening anecdote of the book is Douglas and the Cambodia bombing case. Um, and one of the craziest things about that whole story is that Justice Douglas relays to his clerks back in Washington like, yeah. the opinion he wants them to write. Because he was out at his cabin. He was at right? his cabin in the middle of nowhere in Washington. So he dr- he's driving back from Yakima, the courthouse where he holds the hearing, to his cabin, which doesn't have a phone. And so stops at three successive <laughs> truck stops to call in on a pay phone to relay the substance of the opinion. And he must have done it call collect. Yeah, right. I, I, I mean... 
That, no, if that's, he, if, he, if, he, if he says, will you accept a call from Larry from Washington? And if, if that's the code for get out draft opinion number one and publish that. Um, so I, I think a runner-up for episode title is uh, Justice Douglas Doesn't Call Collect. Um, oh, that's good. No, I think we cannot beat podcasts. Doesn't it? Uh, By the so way, great. speaking of King George, since we're going down yeah, these yeah. rabbit holes today. Right. The, um, is that the biography? Uh, no, well, so the biography, which I still haven't finished, but I'm still enjoying. But also, have you heard, have you listened to, have you, are you even aware of the new hit Broadway musical, Six? Uh, I'm aware of it, yeah. So are we talking Henry VIII and the, 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 six, the six Wives? Five. Not aware of it. I, I saw a, a, a clip, thought it looked really compelling. Do you, are you familiar, I've been listen, you I've been it? listening to the soundtrack, and yeah. it, it's no Hamilton. Yeah, yeah. Right? But it's, 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 it's cute. It's fun. It's, are, it's, so out there in our listening yeah. audience are people who have seen the show. Inquiring yes. minds want to know. How good is it? it yeah, rate it. Give us some uh, comparison. Uh, meanwhile, speaking of Broadway, Broadway in Austin has announced its mm-hmm. schedule for next year. Uh, and we've got To Kill a Mockingbird, which uh-huh. I'm, I'm pleased about. Um, what else? There's some – oh, uh, Hairspray. Hairspray's coming. Hairspray's That's going to be big. Um, Hairspray, Hairspray might actually even be almost appropriate for Maddie. Almost. Yeah, I, I think the parts that aren't will probably go over her head. So. True. Yeah. Um, All right. True although although, although I, I will just say she asked Karen today, what's a period? Like, I was like, I'm good. walking out of the room right <laughs> like, now. I gotta go. <laughs> gotta go. She's reading the Babysitters Club, and it's a little like the the graphic novel version. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Little no, bit over, you know, past her maybe past her age, her age yeah. group. Steve's parenting. Oh my gosh! God help me. Um, okay. So oh, wait. Not, by the way, I feel like, I feel like some listeners will be glad to know that uh, yes, we're in Steve's office. There's two screens. One's for this podcast engineering, but the other one's got the Mets and Cardinals <laughs> on. So if we sound distracted at various points, huh? it's because the Cardinals look like they got two people on with one out in the top of the fifth. Yeah. Eh. Whatever. Yeah, whatever. Oh, and it's Paul Goldschmidt. Great. That's just great. What, what could go wrong? Let's lower the bases. <laughs> Holy shnikes, as Howie Rose said during the, the seven-run ninth-inning rally last week. <laughs> that, that is um, something. So speaking of holy shnikes, hmm. um, I, I do think while we're talking about things that have happened since last we recorded, um, we would be remiss in not talking a little bit about SCOTUS leak gate. Wow, I know. Holy cow, it's been a month. Um, it, hasn't, it's been, it hasn't even been like a week and a half. Well, let's let's do this. So we'll we'll see what ultimately comes out. From the court, and uh, mm-hmm. maybe you know, maybe that's not in scope for our podcast. We'll probably talk about it anyway. I mean, this is not a reproductive rights podcast. <laughs> that may come as a sh- that may come as a shock. Although, actually, given listeners. where I just was, uh, th- okay, never mind. I'm not right. tying that together. Right. But <laughs> but the leak kind of gets at larger yes, or, or institutional. I don't know if large is the right comparison, but distinct questions of institutional norms, and that's a, that's a recurring theme on the show. So and we, leak prosecution. So Steve, rule it in scope or out of scope. Yeah. I am the one who is most likely to think that almost anything the Supreme Court does is in scope. Right, so maybe I shouldn't ask you. So I rule it in but scope. I, I hold up the, as I hold up my cover of The Economist with the How to Save the Supreme Court. You know, I used leader. to subscribe to The Economist for years and years, and I just felt so guilty every week <laughs> as I failed to, to make it even partway through. Um, maybe I should get back to that. With all that spare time. Yes. Okay, oh, so I, we have a leak. Let's why, why are we adding this. things to your to your portfolio? Hey, uh, you know we'll be subtracting a few things so, too, so, but not so, the podcast. So I, I guess point number one is we don't just have a leak. I think we have multiple leaks. Yeah, we've got a couple distinct. Depends on how we break them up. But will you give us a little? You, I'm sure you know this. I didn't ask beforehand. Eh. Historical context. 
Um, Leaks happen. Leaking is not just the act of maybe sharing a draft opinion. It could be other things. So what are, if anything, the sort of the greatest hits of Supreme Court leaking? Ooh, great, so or the, do we even have enough to make it a greatest hits album? Or is oh, this like one of those like one-hit wonder bands who's no, like, no, no, no. I've also got a greatest hits you can, album. You can have like a double album. You know, you have like a 1200 curfew style. Oh, okay. Oh, oh, you beat me the punch. But this could be our frivolity topic. Best uh, greatest hits albums and or double albums. This and could or, be a whole. And or best Indigo Girls album. Okay. This is going to be a whole series I'm afraid we've unlocked. And how is the answer anything but Swampophilia? I mean, I just, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a good thing. All right. So. Um, Wrong answer, but go ahead. <laughs> what, what, what album is better than the Swampophilia? Indigo Girls. Indigo Girls. Oh, you're like you're like the o- well, OG. OG. Oh, yeah. Although technically, the eponymous album is their second album. No, I know it is, but okay. it is, so. But but the OG breakout album is, yes. I think, better song for song top to bottom. Tough, Bobby. Tough, tough. We, we, we will do it. We'll we do will, it line by line. We will, we will oh my god, we're having an Indigo Girls <laughs> tournament at the end of the show. <laughs> no, no, no. We do have we to rank them, right. or do we no, no, do I, we go track by track? I think we need to do a bracket. I think we have to do like a, yeah. We got a bracket. You got to see the songs. Okay, okay. This is gonna be longer than I thought it was. Yeah. Let's get through the national security right. law stuff. Because um, I mean, I you know, I, I also I want to put in an honorable mention for Nomad, which I think is the most underrated. There's a couple. So you could have a couple of breakout hits, but it's not. I know it's not the top. It's not. It's not the AFC West. Let's put that. <laughs> and maybe the NFC East. <laughs> hey, listen, the Rangers won a playoff series. At least I've got that going for me. Can you imagine, like somebody who, like, oh, I heard this guy's the dean. He's got a <laughs> podcast, podcast, and it's with this other guy, and they're they're genuinely law professors. And then we're talking about this. I mean, you know, just because we're what seventeen minutes in and haven't actually talked about much in the way of we had law. a little bit there. There's yeah, been a little that's bit. right. You tried. I tried. <laughs> okay, back to the Supreme Court. Um, and in I, anything stand out as like I, I couldn't what's dis- the best I, I precedent? If I tried, and <laughs> I tried, you tried. <laughs> um, all right. So listen, leaks in the abstract um, go back all the way. I mean, like you know, Tawny famously was pressured by President Buchanan to hold on to the Dred Scott decision until after the eighteen fifty six election. Oh, this is election. the whole genre of clubby yes. justice and president or other figures. But these are leaks, right? I mean, you know, yeah, yeah, that's right. They're they're in the fam. They're they're in the genus of, um, of leaks. I actually think one of the most significant leaks people don't generally know about is that Frankfurter leaked to the Roosevelt administration that Korematsu and Endo were coming down on Monday, December 18th, 1944. He wanted them to speed up their actions. He wanted them to get out in front of the court. Yeah. And so on Sunday, December 17th, the administration announces that it's closing the camps, whereas had it waited a day or had it not been tipped off, ex parte Endo, a case almost no one knows about, would have closed the camps. No, so that species of leak, and I realize I'm changing around kingdom, phylum, genus, whatever. whatever. That category of leaks of, of sort of inside baseball within yes. the execu- the federal government. Tipping, is, off the is, tipping off the president. That, that's, that's got a lot of history. And, and actually, my impression, maybe I'm just ignorant, but my impression is at some point, I'd be curious for your thought what it was that did this, we seem to have... We no longer seem to have much, if any, of that, as near as we can tell, relative to the vast amount of it that used to take place. Is that just part and parcel of the general separation or the post-19, early 70s yeah. uh, kind of shift in favor of more transparent and more more regulated uh, intergovernmental behavior that we associate with? Maybe. Yeah. You, might, you might also say that, like, lessons have been learned. I mean, so one of, the, one of the things that really sort of helped accelerate the – bringing down of Justice Abe Fortas was how close he was to right. the Johnson White House. Yeah. So um, the larger breakdown of the, the old school, mid-20th yeah. century and before clubbiness. Yeah, that, that yeah. might be right. I mean, I you know, query whether the... 
I mean, I, you know, I, I'm still not sure just how closely in touch, for example, some of the justices were with like the Trump White House, but that's a, you know, separate issue. Um, like we know from, like, for example, we know um, from, oh gosh, who's reporting? Uh, Ruth Marcus is reporting, I think, um, about some of Kennedy's machinations, right, to sort of bring about, you know, Justice Kavanaugh. Oh, there's a whole, yeah, there's a whole subspecies of the replacement right. Uh, that that feels to that's me different because yes. that's not about that's what not about case. Okay. Yeah, I think it's different. So with regard to public facing leaks, yeah, right, yeah, yeah. Um, so I think one of the most public, one of the most significant public facing leaks in the court's history is Roe. Um, so a week before Roe versus Wade was formally handed down by the court, Time Magazine runs a cover story um, announcing that the decision is going to be seven to two, announcing that it's going to stru- you know, I had no idea. Co- yeah, you were telling me something I did not know. That's um, amazing. Time, Time blew it, um, right? Be- partly because. Time had been tipped off that the opinion was coming, and then something happened inside the court to slow it down by a week, but time just sort of never caught up with it. Does the historical record reveal uh, how that was leaked? Um, I don't believe we know exactly who leaked it. Um, the Brethren discusses it, right? So the Brethren, we talked about the Brethren, yeah, the Bob yeah, Woodward's yeah, got on time. Anyway, um, so Roe is a good example of a really important case where the public was tipped off as to the result beforehand. Um, you know, there have been other leaks after the fact. Um, there was a leak um, during the consideration of the ACA case in 2012 about John Roberts switching sides, right? I mean, like, leaks have happened. Yeah. Um, have what, we had a draft no. leak? What is different, so what is different in both kind and degree about at least one of the leaks here, and I want to go back to how I think yeah, there are multiple leaks, um, is we've never had a draft opinion before. Got it. Okay, and that so, and so and so that so yeah. so so leaking by itself, eh, right? right. Leaking a draft opinion right. that was circulated to the court before the court has decided yeah. that part's unprecedented. Yeah. The, the chilling effect on the internal process Correct. that all multi-member uh, courts engage Correct. in of circulating drafts right. and adjusting them. Right. It, th- there's a blow there. So, no of course, question. both sides blame the other, right? The lefties say this is an effort by the conservatives to lock in, you know, the justices who might be wobbly. Right. Um, so that's one theory. And then the competing theory? Is that the lefties are trying to do this to galvanize public attention and push back to try to force right. a justice who isn't wobbling to wobble. Right. Um, wow. Do you have mo- – would you put money down on which you think it is, if either? So I, I think uh, – so this is actually a good segue to why I think the multiple leaks part of the story is really important. So um, if it were just the draft opinion, right, I'd be really torn um, because I could see the arguments both ways. What's weird right. about – Could be either. What's weird about blaming on the lefties is why wait till the end of April to leak a draft opinion that was circulated in February if the whole point is to try to build up public opposition, mm-hmm. right? Like why wait so long if you're the lefties? Maybe, maybe operational security by the leaker thinking the longer it is, the harder it is to trace back where it came maybe, from. Maybe, although I'm not – you know, I'm not yeah. – I, I, I have to – it's not immediately obvious to me why that's true. Yeah. Um, yeah right. Whereas if you're the righties, you could imagine that like now's the point where wobbling might be right. A serious like concern. there's there's serious debate going on. Somebody, some one or two people right. uh, have to decide whether they're going to join this or not. Right. And maybe this the is chief, an maybe Chief Justice Roberts has circulated a competing opinion that is not, that upholds mm-hmm. the Mississippi law without formally right. overruling Roe and Casey. Right. Right. And there's concern that so anyway, this is where I think the other leaks are a big part of the story. So before Politico, and it was Politico, right? Right. Before Politico. Josh Gerstein, right? Josh Gerstein and um, I don't remember his name, but one of the national security reporters, Alexander Ward. Okay, Alexander Ward. Okay, um, right. Right. So, bef- which, by the way, I mean, that's that's a t- that's a that's a that's a tell. No, that's very interesting, right? Because well, and it raises all kinds yes. of sort of opsec type yes. questions, like was the leak direct to them? Right. Or was this a filtering out? Was it one of the political reporters? And this is a way of right. protecting the source by trying right. to launder- laundering the leak. Fascinating. Yes. All right. yes. But but th- I want but but there's more than one leak. 
So the week before the Politico story, the bombshell, earthquake, I mean, enormous thing, um, the Wall Street Journal ran an editorial that I think most people just sort of waved their hands. I mean, it's the Wall Street Journal editorial board. You know, when they're not publicly calling me out, as they did yesterday. They did? Yes. You were the target. <laughs> well, they, they, they quoted Akhil Amar calling, quote, bullshit, unquote, on something I wrote with Leah Littman about the draft opinion in Dobbs. Um, oh my goodness, because apparently if, my, if, if one of my law school professors says it's bullshit, it must be so. Um, I just want to know what, they've, what my third grade teacher thinks. I mean, like, you know. <laughs> that special guest on the show next week, <laughs> Mrs. Kerbopel. Uh Pat Sanabria. Anyway, um, so um, the, before, the Wall Street Journal ran an editorial the week before, and it said, you know, based on editorial speculation, right, Maybe Alito has the opinion for a 5-4 majority, and maybe the justices are softening, right? Oh, like, really? So, so somebody called the shot a little bit in a way that if – this may not be true, but yeah. it would be consistent with the there, – there's a wobbling going on. The yes. fifth vote may slip. Yes. And, and so if the – Which really means a fifth and sixth vote. Maybe. I, I mean, maybe. I, I, you know, the, the math here is tricky because, I, I mean, right, I think the, the working assumption is that everyone's focused on – Chief Justice Roberts, Justice Kavanaugh, Justice Barrett, right? Mm-hmm. Yep, of course. Um, the, what's that, you know, I don't know in what universe a liberal would risk leaking to the Wall Street Journal editorial board. I see. So if it's, yeah, so, if so, the, this, so if the journal bleak is actually a leak and not just a incredibly fortuitous guess, yeah. right, by the journal's editorial board, then it certainly looks like this started on the right. Yeah, in sort of this law and order detective work, you know, dun dun. Who did it right. um, and why? The question well, and of maybe incentive the, and, and, and maybe the journal editorial – and maybe Politico was sitting on the draft and the journal editorial forced their hand. Forced their hand. Well, that's the idea. Like maybe this thing did leak quite a while back and there was a yep. sense of like, listen, this this kind of sucks to have which the leak com- come which complicates, which complicates where it's coming from. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. it does. It so does. that's two leaks. Then last Saturday, maybe – I mean, I might, might be two Saturdays ago. I've lost track of the weeks. But right um, – a couple of days after the Politico bombshell, right, the Washington Post publishes a story that quotes three different lawyers close to the conservative justices, right, one of whom is quoted relaying the details of what actually happened at conference, which means one of the presumably conservative justices to whom these lawyers are close told said lawyer, right, about what happened at conference, and the lawyer turned around and gave it to the Post. Oh, man. And it, it begins to feel like the the, the dike is uh, starting to have a lot of holes in it, water starting to shoot through. Yep. And, and, of course, this may be unique to this circumstance, but it, do, does this portend to future in which Supreme Court deliberations on things that are contentious are live streamed? Are, are, <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. They're kind of skipping cameras in the courtroom and going, going right straight to, camera, to, con- to, uh, to conference. Yeah. Cameras in conference. Cameras in conference. My goodness. So I oh, think boy. the short answer is um, there are reasons that I think our viewers won't, our viewers, <laughs> our, our impressive viewers. <laughs> yes. um, so, so I think there are reasons why this case, I think, is maybe unique, right? There are yeah, reasons right. why. This could be a, a singular. Right, everyone's gender is up. But, like, but I don't know how you unring that bell. No, that's right. If it's been done once, I mean, yes. So you're saying you're saying it makes a precedent. Uh, <laughs> so I, I mean, I, I do think. I mean, I do think that. And, and so you know, wholly apart from me, the sort of the person who has policy preferences, right? Me, the Fed court scholar, like finds all of this incredibly sad because right. I think this is regardless of who's responsible, and and I I'm willing to concede that there are plausible arguments that not all of the leaks are coming from the right. Um, I'm not willing to accept that none of them are. Right. Um, given the Washington Post's reporting. Yeah. Right. Right. But um, 
this is all terrible for the closed no, institution. It's, it's just another example. We have a long list yeah. of them of institutional fraying. Yes. And, and uh, politicization. Norms weakening and things that are not legal constraints, but rather are uh, norms of behavior not holding up under the intense political pressures of our time. And whichever side you're on, right? And, you yeah. know. Yeah. Uh, well, there are plenty of people who think like, oh, those norms are a bunch of baloney. Let's just get it all out there. I think you and I are institutionalists yes. in this respect. Yes. And, are, and we're both lamenting. And, and, all, and, and whatever side you're on, like, you know, um, someone from your perspective is destroying the norms. Right, like, like, there's no one I think who looks at this and says, "Eh, whatever, this is all fine." There's there probably are some people. who think that the norm, this particular set of norms, at least, doesn't matter. Yeah. I'm sure there's some people who think that way, and so they think our our fretting over that is irrelevant. But of course, um, we're entitled to our view, and we yeah. think it matters a great deal. And, and, and I and I'm terrified about the fact that no matter whether you're on the left or the right or the center, it's impossible to look at the all of this. And not see not necessarily partisan, but deeply political behavior. Oh, for, well, in, in you know ideological, political coming together here. I think that you know there may be some listeners saying like, well, articulate what is really at stake here. This will make deliberations and mutual persuasion and mutual reason deliberation less and, and I can I can I'm hear some people laughing saying like that's not how this works. That's that's often how it works. It's part of how it should work. Yep. And this will make it that much harder. It'll make it harder. Um, it will make it harder for the justices to trust their law clerks. It will make it, which will make their job more difficult. And will make them more likely, perhaps, to hire only people they ideologically Correct. find compatible, which is Correct. also bad for it deliberation. Will, it, will, it will sharpen polarization in every possible respect. We've already seen Justice Thomas right publicly comment on the leak in ways that were sharply, to my view, partisan and inappropriate. Um, right? I mean, I, I don't know, know what he said. I, but, no, 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 yeah. not, I said in my view, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, this is not the official position of the National Security Law Podcast. <laughs> um, but, but I just, I, you know, so, so wholly apart from the obviously incredibly significant ramifications for reproductive rights, right? There's the institutional thing here. And this is just an enormous self-inflicted wound. It's a tough one. And I wonder if we'll ever get the full story. I suspect that the full story will be out before the year is out. Before the year is out. Because Ooh. there will be so whatever goes down yeah. at the end of June, when it actually goes down. Because that's typically when we hear, like, right? Yeah, like, Dobbs like, is going to come out at the end of June. Right, like, Joan Biskupic, my colleague at CNN, right, yeah. is really, really well known for, like, these end-of-term sort of tell-alls, right? Where, you know, once the decisions are out, she, she, she spills some of the tea. Interesting. Right? So um, we'll, we should get some of that. I think we're more likely now to get all kinds of competing stories about what yes. went on here. Although there, it may be hard to get to ground truth because there's some significant jeopardy for whoever actually did this. Well, so I want to talk about. So, so that's the last thing I want to talk about. So, right. So, Chief Justice Roberts has law, has initiated an investigation right. with the Marshal of the Supreme Court, uh, who right. has no experience investigating these kinds of right, things. Right. But, but that's the tool available. Right. So I actually don't. We don't know how any of the leaks were effectuated. Yeah. Right. We, we can only speculate. Assuming for the moment that no one hacked in to the Supreme Court's computer system, because right. if they did, computer Perhaps, fraud and abuse. Uh, act, yeah, right? sure, exactly. But assuming that this is actually and, and 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 of course there's conspiracy right. as well, where somebody might persuade somebody who had access right. but wasn't authorized. Right. Assuming it's a leak by someone who was lawfully in possession, by someone who was in possession of the document, right? By someone who did not engage in any violation of the CFAA. Yeah. Right. It is not clear to me that they committed any crime. Now, right. lying right. This to the FBI. Right, because just some people be like, it's classified. It's like, nope. nope, no, it's not. No, classified. it's not. Oh, and by the way, let me just make a quick note. Under the Supreme Court's, Supreme Court's own recent decision in Van Buren, um, if if the actual uh, set of events was that someone had legitimate access to the de- to the file where this 
file was, the folder that had this file, and they had legit access to it, but they did not have authority. They weren't cloaked with formal policy authority to use it in this way, that is to give it to a journalist. Um, That is not, that is clearly not a violation of the computer fraud abuse act. That's right. So, so not CFA problem. there's no federal statute that makes the leaking of closely held government information a crime. Um, in the, w- you and I both know a fair amount about the right. national security leak world, but in those contexts, two different things are usually true. One, there's at least a textual claim that the leaker has violated the Espionage Act, um, which capaciously right, limits the dissemination of national security information. This is not that. Right. So right. this is so the jeopardy is all in terms of career consequences, yes. which will be a two-edged sword because yes. let's say that tomorrow it comes out that you know film the blank name is the person that did it, Wh- whoever it turns out to be and whatever their motives turn out to be, there will be so- many who are demonizing that person and some lionizing that person mm-hmm. depending on which way it cuts, mm-hmm. um, and so the career consequences for that person. Uh, will be sort of a barbell-type reaction. But there's one scenario that I think folks haven't considered about the leak investigation, which is there might come a point where Roberts doesn't want the leak investigation to actually get to the bottom of it. Yeah, you're saying like if it points to someone in his own chambers or? Or another justice. Like uh, like if I'm the chief. Right, like the institutional values that he, he's known for being interested right. in might, if... Yeah. This is this is yeah. like right. This is like national security leak. This is like national security, like um. You know the famous story of the Battle of Midway, right? The Chicago Tribune famously publishes. Oh yeah, and that the Japanese won, just missed it. That we won the Battle of Midway by breaking the Japanese naval codes, and the Roosevelt administration really, really, really wants to prosecute them for violating right. the espionage. But you can't draw attention to it because the Japanese hadn't to. noticed it. Right. Yeah, no, so, I agree. No, that's right. You may never hear another word about it, even if they figure it yes. out. Um, there are plenty of reasons why it may be better to let bygones be bygones. Oh boy! Yeah. So, uh, sorry. The, the only other stat I was going to mention: eighteen USC six forty one, which sometimes comes up in leak prosecutions. That's the conversion of property statute. Oh, conversion of government property. Right. Um, the problem with six forty one is that it's really hard to argue that the draft opinion that was never going to see the light of day somehow has pecuniary value to the U.S. government, mm-hmm. as opposed to say photographs of a Russian air- of a Soviet aircraft carrier, yeah, which yeah. is the basis for the six forty one prosecution in U.S. versus Morrison. Interesting. Okay. Well, watch this space. I have a feeling we'll hear more of it this year. Maybe. Maybe. I'm not, maybe I, not. I don't know. I don't, I don't know. I, I really, I don't know. This is going to be this is going to be the news sort of who was deep throat. Yeah. Um, yeah. Although, I, by the way, I just finished reading Garrett Graff's fantastic new history of Watergate. Yeah. Um, and apparently, everyone knew who Deep Throat was, except all of it just us. Just wasn't on the inside. It was always known. Uh, apparently, like the Nick, the White House was pretty sure it was felt like Mark the felt. Yeah, yeah, the you know the FBI was pretty like apparently it, it was a known it, it was known that Mark felt was Deep Throat. Interesting. Well, maybe that's what will end up being here. It's known, but just yeah. not confirmed. But let me say kudos to Garrett Graff. It really is. I mean, even I, someone who thought I knew a lot about Watergate. Um, having the whole thing presented chronologically the way it was, I found, I found that too powerful. He's a great writer. Yep. I think we talked about that last time. We did, so I'm just repeating uh, myself. Yeah. I, <laughs> Reorder it, folks. <laughs> I, you know, I've, I, read, I, haven't, I haven't read that many books lately. No, well, look, I, I think we need to get our customers, our listeners, used to the idea right. of reordering books. <laughs> Pre- pre-order many times. <laughs> it's Vote Chicago style. <laughs> Early and often. <laughs> That's exactly your pitch. Oh, my God. Um, so By I, the way, I have prompt- you seen? Oh, sorry, can I say yeah, one more thing? Yeah. Um, my law school classmate Scott Hershovitz, who's now a professor at Michigan, speaking of books to pre-order, although it might be too late to pre-order it, um, has this really, really fun new book out called "Nasty, Brutish, and Short" about how to like how to teach philosophy to kids. 
right? Oh, <laughs> um, like it's it's like it's it's a, like it's a it's like a family book about like how like five, six, seven, eight year olds are are like natural philosophers, and you know what like what parents can do to sort of facilitate that and 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 you know um, uh, uh, encourage it and develop it. That's fantastic. All right, so, I'll check that out. Nasty Bruce and Short Nasty by Scott Hershovitz. Nasty Short. Um, all right, I promised I would say something about this question that arose uh, in in. Look at you being substantive. Andy Greenberg had a piece in Wired. Uh, you know, he is he is an exceptional reporter on the cyber uh, international relations beat, and has of course the wonderful book Sandworm. Early order or not early, late order that one, but order it often. <laughs> um, Sandworm being the uh, the the hacking team within Russia's GRU, Russian military intelligence, uh, associated with some truly some of the the globe's most damaging cyber and reckless cyber attacks over time, like NotPetya. Um, and including in the period uh, following, I think this comes after Russia's initial invasion of Ukraine, where they detached part of the east and Crimea, uh, and then before the most recent, uh, more intensive and currently ongoing invasion, when uh, Russia took down the Ukrainian grid. And there's a, there's a discussion that got set off recently about, you know, what what might we say about that as a war crime? And I thought I'd run through the steps sort of in the spirit of final exams, Steve. <laughs> so if you were reading a, a final exam oh. issue spotter that basically oh. said all this these my facts, life for the next week. And it's and it's like a LOAC, a law of armed conflict class, IHL class, international humanitarian law. Um, how might your how might you outline the answer? And I would submit that a, a pretty good sort of standard way to do it would be ask first and foremost, do we have any armed conflict in the fact pattern? Because you shouldn't be talking about the law of armed conflict unless you got law of armed conflict, unless you have armed conflict in the fact pattern. Interesting. And if you look at the timing here, okay, right? It's a good starting point. If you look at the timing here, we're stipulating that we're talking about something that happened after what we might kind of bracket historically as the active phase that resulted in the detachment of these Ukrainian territories. Um, and from that perspective, it presents an interesting, well, how long does the armed conflict mode last? If you've got activity going on within the territories that are being occupied, then that frame should still be ongoing. I don't actually know the particulars about whether the grid uh, impact uh, impacted those territories. It certainly impacted uh, Kyiv and other parts of Ukraine. Um, and there we might say, well, it's kind of an interesting question. You might have a, is this postbellum more than during bellum since the overall state of affairs between Russia and Ukraine at that point um, had kind of gone down to a low, lower level of intensity, all of it complicated by Russia trying to deny they were behind it all to begin with. But I think there's a there's actually a, a decent chance that it would be fun to work out the pros and cons of in an exam answer to say, that look, at, at that point and thereafter, especially as long as there was still territory being held and still people with guns occasionally firing them in the east, you had an ongoing state of international armed conflict between the two states. Um, so now you, you take into account the next question. Do we have, if you have a context of armed conflict, does this constitute an attack such that it should be analyzed for the, the cardinal principles such as distinction and proportionality? Now, I think this is where people, some people tend to get seized up about the fact that cyber activities are taking place within a domain and involving means, methods, and instrumentalities that are, that are different than the kinetic world we, we've been used to in the past. Uh, the first thing to say is there's nothing about the novelty of, of the medium that preclude. it certainly does not mean that there's no law and that the law of armed conflict doesn't apply. That, is, that makes no sense. The, the law of armed conflict and the rules that we're discussing here uh, are, have 
they are not medium specific. Uh, but you do need to you do need to categorize the action as an attack. Um, in this case, the destructive effect and the scale and strategic nature of the impact to me make it relatively easy to say, yeah, this counts as an attack, not in the journalist sense, we'll call it a cyber attack, but in the law of armed conflict uh, sense of this is a military attack. At that point, you need to do a distinction analysis. Uh, you, you, the baseline rule being you do not intentionally attempt to harm a, a, mil a civilian object, which is what the grid is at first glance, but then it gets complicated because it's a dual use system that of course is relevant as well in this context for military usage. And so you have to get into um, what ultimately I think will kind of revert back to uh, the proportionality analysis is, is the cost and impact imposed on civilian objects and civilians uh, disproportionate to the military advantage to be gained. And here I'd say that's the easiest place to say where if there is a context of armed conflict, that actually could be categorized as a war crime because it was a very purposeful uh, attempt to accomplish something that and did accomplish something that was whatever military objective you might claim to be advanced here. And it's actually a little hard in context to see what military objective was actually being achieved because it was in the nature of we're just screwing with you and causing problems right. for you. Um, and, the, and the harm predictably and in reality, hugely impactful to the civilian sector. So that's how I analyze it. Does that sound right to you? Anything you'd add? Um you know, I'd probably throw in a little bit of humor if it were a yes, damn answer. If it, okay, fair enough. Uh, and of course, none of this is to say that in some way this is more important or more serious than the actual no, no, no. very vivid war crimes that have been unfolding in recent months there. But it's useful to look back, and it's always good to practice with these concepts being applied in the cyber domain. Yep. All right. We should stop being so serious. <sighs> must we? We must because we're almost almost out of time. Mm. And we have some brackets to construct. And the Mets are still winning. The Mets are still winning. Okay, friends, if you don't want to hear about the Indigo Girls. <laughs> or the Mets. Or the Mets. It's time to sign off. Thanks for being here with us. But, Steve, why don't you queue up? Uh, why don't you be Swampophilia? So this is a good question. So so are we are we seeding right now? Yeah, I think we're seeding. Wow, we're going to do this on the fly. Yeah. Uh-oh. This could be bad. Yeah. <laughs> um... All right, so so why, let's just make a list of the albums. Are you? Do you have? Do you have your little I was, notebook? I was, you know, why don't we just go head to head? Uh, Indigo Girls self titled oh. versus Swampophilia. Oh, we're we're just we're just ignoring every other album ever. Oh All yeah, right. no, it's a, it's an album. It's which is the the ladies and gentlemen. You could be anywhere in the world tonight, but you chose to be with us here. All right, All right. the so, issue on the table. Which we're, is we're the best album? We're going track for track. We could go. We could go with the uh, the sequential seating, or we could rank them and go head to head. Hmm. Let's go sequential because time's of the essence here. Yeah, seriously. All right, so track one of the self-entitled album is... Um, Closer to Fine. Closer to Fine. Hard to do, you know. What you got? Good. What's I have Fugitive, you? which it's pretty good. It is good, but I think you're going to have to give me... Fugitive is one of those Indigo Girl songs that's actually really, really, like, even better live. But many I'm, of their songs Yeah, are. Closer to Fine. So we got... It's 1-0. Yeah, all right, but I'm going to win track two. Are you? Yes. Okay, go for it. What do you got? Track two, secure yourself on self-titled, right? It is. It is. Yeah, track two on Swampophilia is at least complicated. Ooh, okay. That's, that's, darn, you know, this is like playing the card game <laughs> War. You, you put down a queen and I your know. kid hits you with a king or yeah. an ace. The Bucks and, like, and the Celtics in the, in the Eastern Conference. Yeah, exactly. Okay, I, even though secure yourself to heaven is really good. Yeah. But I'll, I will give you I'll give you that one, all right? It's 1-1 one, one after right. two rounds. I'll, let me see if I can remember. Track three of the eponymous album is Kid Fears. Yeah, you're impressing me. All right. Track three of Swapophilia's Language or the Kiss. 
I think that's tough. That's tough. I, I don't think either one. Yeah, it's a push. We're gonna we're gonna split that because I don't think Michael Stipe can really you know. Well. No, um, Michael Stipe's a uh, little guest bit there. Yeah. Is so good, especially when when True. they go acapella yes. towards the end. Yes. It's so good. Yeah, I'm I'm a little. Well, tempted to the kiss. I mean, it's one of those. It's one of those Emily piano songs. So I, I'm kind of tempted to try to push for Kid Fierce to win that one, but I'm gonna give you the push. All right. All right. Um, track I'm, four, Strange. It's not Strange Fire. No. Prince of Darkness. Oh yeah, that wins. That's tra- a great track great, four great, on top of Philia is Reunion, which is a cute song, but it's, no, it's, no, it's no, Prince no Prince of Darkness. Darkness. Yep. All right. Uh, Two one. Five is, is five. Strange Fire. No. Uh, Blood and Fire. Blood and Fire. I'm sorry. Blood, Blood and Fire. And fire. Right. Um, is Strange Fire? Wait, no. Strange Fire. Strange on Fire is on a different album. It's on, the, it's on Strange Fire. Yeah. Duh. Exactly. Um, Blood and Fire. Blood Fire is tough to be. What have you got? Power of Two. That's that's like that's two number one seed. That's that's Duke versus North Carolina. I'm telling you, Swampophilia uh, holds up. No, it's really putting up a good fight. I can't I can't accept the Blood and Fire would be defeated here. But is that I another ac- push? I could accept a push on that. Because I think there are, I think there are people who would tell you that Power of Two is their best love song. Power of Two is. Uh, I tell you what, I'll, I'll give you that one reluctantly. Okay. Because I actually think that's a, a truly great song, and you got to give each album its sort of. I just say some amount of love, but th- that's a close one. All right. Track six. Tried to be true. Yeah. Touch, right. touch me fall. Eh. Yeah. Another one that exciting. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay. Number seven for me is pretty strong. Love's recovery. So this is tough. Wood song. Ooh, that's a good song too. Yeah. I mean, love's recovery and the wood song, and they're very similar. Yeah, they are. That's interesting. I wonder if that's on purpose. Um. Probably not. Um, okay. I don't think we can throw that one in either direction. <laughs> Look at us. We're pushing all over the place. Okay. Uh, what do you got for number eight? I'm not your land of Canaan, baby. Mystery. I think mis- I, I don't know, Bobby. I don't know. I, I think this is holding up. I, I, I'll give you, I'll give you mystery on that because okay. okay. I'm going to have a strong opinion on here's, this one. Here's the, the problem with mystery. So here's the only problem with mystery. I love Love's Recovery. Like I think it's one of their best yeah. piano ballads. Yeah. Um, the problem with mystery is that the 1200 Curfews version is so much better. Right. We'll we'll focus on the inherent song, okay. even if it's performed better elsewhere. So I'm going to I'm going to take a position on this one. Center stage is maybe one of the most underappreciated of all their songs. I agree. Uh, in law school, Aya Gruber and I perform that often at the happy hour. Hi, Aya. Uh, center stage, I will take. Yes, I'll mark I, I, that. I think it beats Dead Man's Hill. Yeah. Uh, number 10. Fare Thee Well. History of Us. History of Us is de- it's just like. I went all uh, the way to Paris. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think mm-hmm. Fare Thee Well. Mm-hmm. Um, they're, both, they're both like. I'll give you that. They're both like dark Emily songs. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, I'm noticing a theme here. Actually, I'm out of songs now, unless you go with... Oh, like so, the, so this train revisited wins by default for uh, for track 11. So I think what we've established, these are <laughs> pretty equally weighted yes. albums. Yes. Yeah, that's interesting. Do you think any of the other albums can possibly claim sort of three heavyweight class championship level songs the way each of these can? So I'm going to make one push. I realize this is not necessarily a widely held view. But I'm gonna make the push for Nomads, Indians, and Saints. Um, and here's here are the so let me just do the track listing, and then you tell me what you think, right? Hammer and a Nail, Welcome Me, World Falls, Southland in the Springtime, One Two Three, Keeper of My Heart, which by the way is Dark Horse, my favorite Indigo mm. Girl song, Watershed, Hand Me Downs, You and Me of the Ten Thousand Wars, Pushing the Needle Too Far, and the Girl with the Weight of the World in Her Hands. You know, I'd say that pound for pound, maybe the the average quality there is among the highest, but yeah. I don't think the peaks outshine yeah. the peaks right. of, of either. Right, of the th- right. This had, this is like a deeper, a more lineup. consistent, yeah, D- deeper, yeah. longer lineup. Yeah, right. Not not quite the same stars. Yeah, there you go. 
Um, all right, let me look at one more. Um, I want to look at one more. Um, so basically, you guys are just like hanging out with this. Man. I also want to look at Rites of Passage because that's the other album that could be competitive here. Right? I think if I had to just grab one, though, I think I'd probably grab, uh, you know, the live album. Well, yeah, but that's Because that's cheating. It's, yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right. So, Rites of Passage. Here we go. This is, I think, the Galileo, only Galileo. So, yeah. three hits. Galileo, Ghost, Joking, Jonas and Ezekiel, Love mm-hmm. Will Come to You, Romeo and Juliet, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Virginia Wolf, mm-hmm. Chicken Man, <laughs> Airplane, Nashville, Let It Be Me, and Cedar Tree. Okay, you know what? Uh, so, I would say three hits is, yeah. is, is top tier. Yeah. Three, um, three hits was the name of my sports column in college. Oh, really? Because nice. it was the only Indigo Girls song that had an obvious sports Yeah, connection. yeah, yeah. Oh, that's good. No, I really like that song. You're, yeah. you're persuading me. Now, Galileo is hard to assess because to me it's kind of overplayed. Um, but because it's so you, good. You who started with Closer to Fine is but, like the knockdown, I round know, one knockout. I know, I know. Some songs survive being overplayed. Some don't. Um, Ghost? Jonas and Ezekiel. Yeah. Uh, three hits in Jonas and Ezekiel are so good. But, I mean, th- that that little run right there. Three hits, Galileo, Ghost, Joking, Jonas and Ezekiel. Those five songs yeah. in a row. Cover, the, Romeo and Juliet, that's that's the Dylan cover, right? Um, dire Straits, isn't it? Oh, dire Straits, yeah, yeah. Right, right. So that's that's cool. Virginia Woolf's a good song. Chicken Man, <laughs> I have trouble with the title. It's so <laughs> ridiculous, but it's a good song. <laughs> have you ever heard it live? Um it's on the live album. So isn't chicken, it? but in person live, Chicken Man chicken makes a lot. Man. Chicken Man makes a lot more sense when you are in person for when they jam. Yeah. Okay. Fair like, enough. And just, okay. Um, I think what we've established is that the you know, Eagles are amazing. Yeah. No, that's a strong. Not not a lot of bands can can have that many strong albums. That's right. And that's just their early stuff. Yeah, it's just like the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Touche. All right. Should we talk about the amazing first place New York Mets? Just to appreciate it. Wow. It's it's sticking longer than in years past on this show where we've admired early season success. Are you sitting down? Yeah, I'm sitting. I'm down. going tomorrow. You are. And Thursday. Oh, I'm so jealous. So you're on a flight to New York tomorrow? Tomorrow morning. I am Karen Karen as a sort of both congratulations for finishing the book and sorry that I left you for six nights in April. Um, gave, <laughs> me two night, gave me two nights in May to go anywhere and I decided to take one night and go to New York. Oh, fantastic. So oh, my man, bu- I'm jealous. So, so, my, so, so my buddies and I are going tomorrow night to watch Scherzer. Oh, that would be so fun. And then my, my uh, parents and my sister and I are going Thursday afternoon. That's fantastic. Do you have good seats? Uh, pretty good. All right. So hopefully, you know. Yeah. Hopefully, I think it goes well. Scherzer at least can deliver. Who's who's pitching the next? Uh, Chris Bassett. Okay. No. Hey. They're they're all doing all right. Yeah. It's just it's just that it's, it's, just, it's the Cardinals that scares me. I just have bad memories of the Cardinals. Uh, I know. I know. Well, hey, you know, the chances of Bob Burrell pitching or uh, <laughs> Ozzy Smith holding down the shortstop or, or Adam Wainwright. We know, actually we actually Jack, miss Jack Clark. we miss Adam Wainwright in this series. Ooh. In a four game series, we miss Wainwright. Uh, can you remember from back, so in the Mets, you know, the mid-80s, ah, yes. the Cardinals pitching stuff, Bob Burrell, right? Right, Bob Tudor. Or was that who I was thinking of? Burrell was the Todd closer. Burrell. Todd Burrell was Todd... the closer, and I was thinking of Bob Tudor, the Bob starter. Bob Tudor. Okay, right, good um, correction. Joaquin Andujar. Joaquin Andujar was tough yep. stuff. Yep, I can't remember past those two. Forsh, Ken Forsh? Maybe. Um, gosh, now I'm dating myself. Yeah, I do think that this was basically the difference between those teams when they were both at the their mid '80s. What peaks. Like the depth, depth of the starting of the pitching? Starting pitching. Yeah, look. Back when back when starting pitching was like all the was matter. still a thing. Yeah, yeah. I'm not not loving the whole like pitch four innings thing that we're seeing a lot of this, um, this season. So let's see, walking Andahar, um, Danny Cox, Bob Forsh. Mm-hmm. Um, who else threw a lot? John Tudor, right? Todd Worrell. Um, and Worrell was the closer, right? Worrell, you know, what passed for a closer yeah, in 1985. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, the starters were Tudor, Andahar, Danny Cox, Kurt Kepscher, and Bob Forsh. Tudor and Andahar both won 21 yep. games in 85. Yeah, no, they were monsters. And yep. that made them so dangerous in the playoffs. Yep. But the depth of the Mets in any long series was was so remarkable. Worrell was actually not the closer. Huh. Maybe that um, came later. He had five saves, but actually, this is the mid-80s, right? Right. Um, yeah. Jeff Lottie had 19 and Ken Daly had 11. Right, mm. so he Lefty was third on the team in saves. It was, just, it was a different time. In 86, right, McDowell and Orozco. Orozco. Orozco was the lefty, McDowell was the righty. Yeah. Yeah. Roger McDowell was 14-9 and nine as a part-time closer in 1986. There, there were a lot of wins to go around <laughs> that year. Terry, well, Terry Leach was like 11-3 no, or something with sidearm. But 23 decisions. No, that's nuts. Right, I mean, that's, that's crazy. Oh, man. All right, I think we've exhausted uh, all right, our anyway, topics. If, uh, uh, while you're, if you're still with us, it's 3 nothing in the bottom of the seventh of game one of today's doubleheader. <laughs> um, all right, he is Dean Designate at Bobby Chesney. I am Steve <laughs> underscore Vladek. We are at NSL Podcast. Um, Bobby promises that we're going to be back in like a couple weeks, so we'll see how that goes. Make it so. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe by then you will have watched Picard. <laughs> yeah, <you know. laughs> touché, touché. All right, friends, stay safe out there. Adios.